Man, I would be so pleased to have you guys join me in the book of Acts tonight, specifically chapter 16. It's a book appropriately named as it gives record to the Acts of the Apostles, the works that they did for the kingdom of God through the power of His Spirit. And I just wonder, what acts have you done for the kingdom of God since the last time that we gathered together? Because there's a record being kept that each and every one of us who call Jesus as our Lord will give an account for one day when our lives are done here on this earth. What we did with His name, what we did for His kingdom while we were here on this earth. And so I encourage you, if you haven't been lately, to go ahead and get busy working to help expanding the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 16, though, is where we need to be at tonight. Have you ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time? You know what I'm talking about? It's one of those unfortunate, what are the chances kind of moments that just happens to land on top of you. Have you ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time? The summer before my senior year at UNA, and I had the opportunity to play baseball for the Lions while I was there, and I was in North Carolina playing in a summer wood bat league, and the season was almost over. As a matter of fact, we were practicing for a semifinal game in the playoffs of the league that I was in, and we were taking batting practice before the game, and I don't know how many of you have ever been to a baseball game or if you've gotten there in time to see batting practice before the game actually starts, but we'll have screens set up throughout the field for people to stand behind to take ground balls or for the first baseman to stand behind to field throws across the infield, and those screens are there, so while they're still hitting, they can stand behind those screens. You don't have to worry about getting hit with the ball. We always put one out in the outfield behind second base a little way, so pitchers like me who have the duty of shagging fly balls in the outfield can take the bucket out there, and the outfielders will throw the ball in. You catch it, drop it in the bucket. When the bucket gets full, You'll run it back up there to the coach that's throwing BP, and you'll dump the balls back in there. And so I was that guy that was standing behind the screen in the outfield catching balls as they were being thrown back in. And I stayed pretty close to the screen. You don't want to get too far out from behind it because if you do, you're exposed. There's a chance you could get hit. So I wasn't too far behind. I mean, I was close enough to be safe. And the guy had caught a ball in the outfield, and he was throwing it back in, and I was standing here waiting to catch it. And the last words that I heard were, heads up, never even made it to the P. The next thing I knew, I woke up with a mouthful of grass and this unimaginable ringing going on in my head and about six or seven of my teammates standing over the top of me like this. Took a line drive to the back of the head, knocked my lights out. But the funny thing about that is, is that I was close enough to the screen where a normal hit line drive would have never hit me. It just so happens that the guy that hit the ball hit it with what we call top spin on top of it. So when you hit a baseball and it has top spin, then that turns into what we call a sinking line drive. Instead of rising, it sinks. And so he hit it just right and got just enough on it that when that ball got to the top of that screen, the top spin kicked in, and it sunk, came right over the top of it, hit me in the back of the head, and the next thing I know, I'm sitting in the hospital with a neck brace on, people asking me questions about if my head hurts and stuff, and I'm like, I don't know, man, I just took a baseball to the back of it. Do you think it hurts? Like, y'all had to take me to the hospital to ask me if my head was hurting when I got hit with a line drive? I kid you not, one of the persons that was assessing me 
looks to one of the general managers of our team and says, does he seem a little bit delayed in some of his responses to you? And I'm like, well, gee, I wonder why. Maybe it's because I just got my bell rung by a line drive baseball. Talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Everything had to line up just right for me to take that ball off the beaner like I did. And it did. Wrong place, wrong time. Tonight, I want us to look at a little different variation of that. I want to discuss being in the wrong place at the right time. Wrong place, right time. Wrong place, right time. Why do I want to do that? Because I want us to consider the instances of life where our current location seems wrong, but the timing is actually right. And I believe God's going to help us do that through the narrative of Acts 16, where Paul and his mission team, which included Silas and Timothy, faced a couple of instances where they seemed to be in the wrong place. But it was the right place. Time. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6, it says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. You want to be real careful with that one. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And as we were going to the place of prayer, so it's a few days later, and they're going back to the place where they had just met this group of women to have their prayer gathering, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. When they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. 
And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took, the same, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And as he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So here we have two different instances that we're going to go back and break down more in depth here in a moment, in which these guys seem to end up in the wrong place. So in the first instance, Paul and his team attempt to go into Asia in order to share the gospel and plant churches. They're in the middle of one of their missionary journeys, and they were close to these Asian cities, these Asian areas, and they had planned on going in there and sharing the gospel with these people and planting churches, which is just what Paul did. Everywhere that he would go, he would take the gospel and he would preach it, and people would believe in the name of Jesus and accept him as their Savior, and he would help them get a church started in that area. But the Holy Spirit would not allow them to go. Instead, Paul receives this vision of a man from Macedonia, and they figure that's where they need to go. Now, understand this. From where they had planned to go to where they felt like they were being led was a 400-mile detour. Now, I'm not talking about a 400-mile detour that you can go get in your car and drive across the state and end up being there within a matter of a few hours. I'm talking about a 400-mile trek by foot. So I would have to imagine that for Paul and his team, this new location seemed wrong. It didn't make much sense for them to be 400 miles elsewhere from where they felt like they needed to be. I'm sure like this seemed like a wrong location, but they make the voyage. And after doing so, they end up meeting this woman named Lydia, who the Bible tells us was a seller of purple goods. So she was a Lions fan, obviously. And so they meet this woman named Lydia, and she ends up surrendering her life to Jesus, her and her household as well. So what seemed like the wrong place ended up being the right time. In the second instance, after this happens, Paul and his team are going back to the place of prayer where they had met these women to begin with, and this oppressed or possessed slave girl begins to follow them. And the demon that is possessing her begins to cry out and say, I know who these people are. Y'all are servants of the Most High God, and y'all come to proclaim the way of salvation. Now you may think, well, what better opportunity for advertisement would you want? But after so long of doing this, over and over, it says many days she followed them around saying this over and over and over again. Obviously, it became a hindrance to the work that Paul was trying to do. So he becomes annoyed. He turns around and he casts out the demon. And her owners get upset because this was a source of income for them. This poor girl had been possessed by this demon and had given her the giftedness to be able to tell the future. And so they were profiting off of that. They would have people come over to their house and they would sit this girl down and she would tell them things that nobody else should have any business knowing or being able to find out. Paul casts a demon out. She loses that ability. Now they're upset because this was a source of income for them. They start a riot up. 
They dragged Paul and Timothy and Silas into the town square. They beat them up and down with rods. They get thrown in prison. I would say prison is probably the wrong place to be. While they're in the jail cell, they're praying and they're singing and God opens the door. The jailer ends up accepting Christ and not just him, but his entire household as well. Once again, we're in the wrong place, but it's the right time. I think a lot of times we battle as believers, as men and women of God, we battle with looking at where we're at in life and thinking we're in the wrong place. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be in this job. It wasn't supposed to take me six years to get the degree. I'm not supposed to be 26 and single still. I'm not supposed to get this kind of diagnosis. I'm not supposed to be here. This is the wrong place for me. I think a lot of times as believers we battle looking around at where we're at in life currently and thinking this is the wrong place. And I want to show you a couple of things about these seasons when we go through them that I think will be beneficial. The first of which is that we need to understand sometimes God uses restriction for the sake of redirection. Sometimes God uses restriction for the sake of Redirection. Remember, Paul and his team, they wanted to go into Asia. And logistically, that made sense for the place that they were at when their journey first started. So it says in verse 6, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. So where they were at right now, it, it, made, them, it made sense for them to continue journeying onward into these Asian areas. Logistically, it just made sense, but the Spirit of God wouldn't allow it to happen, which seems odd to me. Don't you think it seems odd that, that God is essentially saying no to them sharing the gospel in Asia? How odd would it be if you went to God at the gym or in class one day or you went to one of your family members and you said, Hey God, uh, I've got this family member, I've got this classmate, I've got this teammate, I've got this co-worker that I really want to share the gospel with. Will you give me the opportunity to do that? And then God comes back with a no. Nobody, does anybody think that would be a little bit odd? I think it would be a little bit strange if we went to God and say, Hey, God, I would, I would be so blessed, man, if you would just give me an opportunity to share the gospel with this person that I know needs Jesus. And he comes back with a, nah. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I don't, not. I'd rather you not. That seems crazy. We, would, we could never imagine God's response being no to us wanting to be gospel-driven. And yet Paul and his team's trying to go into Asia, for the sake of sharing the gospel, and God won't allow it to happen? It says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into that place. Listen, just because your plans get blocked doesn't necessarily mean they're bad. Just because your plans get blocked doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad. It's not necessarily a bad thing that you want that job, but God chose to block it. It's not necessarily a bad thing that you want to enter into that relationship. That you want to find a husband. That you want to find a wife. But for whatever reason, God chose to block it. 
It's not necessarily a bad thing that you've got that dream or that you've got that particular goal that you want to achieve, but for whatever reason, God has decided to block it. But just because He has decided to block it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing. I think a lot of times we get confused and we think that when God begins to block certain things in our life, then there must be something bad about it, when that's not necessarily the case. It wasn't the case with Paul and his team. Do we think that God's going to block them from going into the Asian areas because them sharing the gospel is a bad idea? Absolutely not. God was restricting their movement one way to redirect it in another. Why would he do that? Because the gospel had never made it to the place that he was sending them. And the same thing happened when they ended up in prison. They were going one way. They're going to the prayer meeting. When all of a sudden they were literally seized and restrained and forced to go a, a different way that ultimately landed them in a prison cell. But once again, the gospel ended up in a place where it had never been before. Sometimes it feels like God is restricting our movement. Sometimes it seems like God isn't allowing us entrance into something specific. And if that's the case, then it's likely because he's redirecting you into an area you wouldn't normally go or stay in for the sake of the gospel. So oftentimes in our lives, God has to use restriction to bring about redirection. He says no to this certain area so he can re redirect your path over here because the gospel's never been there before. In the area in which Paul and his team were, these people were beginning to hear about Jesus. Word was beginning to spread. Other people that had accepted Christ were beginning to go out and share it. And so God says, I tell you what, instead of you guys continuing down this path, go over to Macedonia because those people have never heard about me. It's likely that if you're feeling God's restriction in your life, that he's redirecting you in a different area. But there are gospel implications behind that. And that's why we also need to realize that in these instances, it's not by chance. It's not by chance that you're in the place that you're in. When I was in North Carolina, and I took that baseball off the beaner, that was 100% by chance. I had to be in the right place at the right moment. He had to hit that ball at the perfect spot on the ball itself, the perfect spot on the barrel itself. It had to be just the right pitch out of the coach's hands. All that had to come together for me to wear that line drive off the back of my skull. And it did. 100% by chance. But it wasn't by chance these guys ended up in Macedonia. It wasn't by chance that they ended up in prison. In another gospel account, the disciples get in a boat that Jesus put them on. He says, go across to the other side. I want you to go to Gennesaret. And as they're sailing across the sea, a storm whips up and actually blows them past their intended destination and they end up in Bethsaida instead. But when they get off the boat and Jesus gets off with them, people begin to flood to the boat and Jesus shares the gospel with them and many lives come to know him. And the same way in Paul's life at a different time, he's trying to get to Rome. 
That was his intended destination. That's where he wanted to be. That was the right place for him to be. But on the way there, his ship gets wrecked. He washes up on the island of Malta. He gets out. All these islanders surround him. He shares the gospel with them. They begin to surrender their lives to Jesus. It's not by chance that you ended up in the place that you're in. It's not by chance that Paul and his team ended up in the place that they were in. Because listen, salvation, or let me say conversion, doesn't happen by chance. And salvation took place in all of these instances. They show up in Macedonia, they get introduced to Lydia. They get dragged into prison, they end up meeting the jailer. And not just them, but their families as well. Listen, it's not by chance you're in that job. It's not by chance you're at that school. It's not by chance that it's taken you this many semesters. It's not by chance that even right now you're still single and searching. It's not by chance that you walked into the doctor's office that day and you received that diagnosis. God has something for you in those places that seem wrong. And so when you find yourself in the wrong place, there's a few things that I think we need to do that would be beneficial for us. The first one is you've got to be present. When you find yourself in the wrong place, you've got to be present. Go back and look at verse 11 with me. The text says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. When Paul and his team got to Macedonia, even though it didn't make sense for them to be there, even though this is the result of a 400-mile detour that God had sent them on, the text tells us that they remained in this city for some days. And I think that's an important detail for us to understand because what it boils down to is that they realized, like it or not, this is where they were. And rushing to move on wouldn't accomplish anything. When it seems like you're in the wrong place, be present. Be where you're at. Because rushing to move on to someplace else isn't going to accomplish what God has set you in that place to accomplish. I know. I know what it's like to be in a wrong place. I know what it's like to be in a holding pattern. I know what it feels like to be stuck in something that you feel like you're never going to be able to break loose from. I know what it's like to feel like God's restricting you on all sides of your life, not allowing you to enter into the places that you want to enter into. And the temptation in the midst of that is to become dull and numb in the process to where you end up going through the motions just trying to survive the next day. I've been there. I've done that. I've been in the place where I was so dull and numb to where I was at because I felt like that was the wrong place for me. That every single morning I would get up and literally think, if I can just make it to the next day. But let me tell you all, as men and women of God that have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, He didn't save our souls and call us into a new calling so we could just make it to the next day. But the temptation becomes to get up, put your clothes on, get in the car, punch the clock, and then do what you got to do to make it to the end to punch out. 
and then repeat the process the next day until something finally breaks loose so you can get to the place that you want to be at. You're showing up, but you're not there. I wonder how many of you here tonight are going to work, but you're not there. I wonder how many of us here tonight are going to class, but you're not there. I wonder how many of us are going home, going to our apartments, going to our dorms, but you're not there. What ends up happening is we spend all of our time thinking about where we'd rather be, that we don't realize we're where we need to be. Skip down to verse 28 with me. Remember, they're in prison at this point. The jail cells have come open. The jailer thinks that everybody's escaped. Verse 28 says, But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. How many of you know that when you've got Jesus, you don't have to escape because you've already been set free? The doors of the cell swing open and the jailer freaks out because he thinks everybody's gone. And Paul says, don't worry, we're all still here. Even when they were thrown into that prison cell and the doors opened, they didn't try to escape because they realized this is where they were. It was the place that God had them in. But when we get in the wrong place, all we become concerned with at times is escaping. Let me give you an encouragement to help you through this season. Instead of trying to peace out, be present in. Stop trying to peace out of the place where God has you right now. And instead, be present in that place where God has you right now. And then find opportunity. Don't just be present. When you feel like you're in the wrong place, don't just be present. Find opportunity. Go back to the story of verse 13. We're, we're still in Macedonia. We're, we're looking at, at what's taking place after Paul and his team shows up there and it says on the Sabbath day we went outside. So remember, they'd been in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, You've you have judged me faithful to the Lord. Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I don't know if you noticed or not. Sometimes I think we miss little small details in Scripture because we rush through the passage too much. But after some days in Macedonia, the man from Paul's vision, remember the whole reason that they went is because Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. But after spending some days in that city, the man from Paul's vision never showed up. They never saw that cat. But we're told that they went outside. 
After being in the city for some days, they went outside. They went looking for opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. And they didn't find a man, but they found a group of women. Because since the beginning of the dawn of time, you ladies have traveled in packs everywhere that you go. Nothing has changed in that arena. That's why it's so intimidating for some of these guys to try and actually take a step of faith and ask one of you out. Because he can't ever get you by yourself in order to do it. Stop traveling in packs so much. Break off every now and then. Paul and him go outside and they find a group of women having a prayer time. And one of them was Lydia. And she and her house found salvation in Jesus. Now it says that she was a worshiper of God. But listen to me closely. You can worship God without knowing God. She knew about God. She had heard things about God, but she didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And when Paul shows up and begins to explain to her what a relationship is like, she says, hey, I want that. And she surrenders her life to Jesus. And to make it even better, she says, man, come on back to the house. And she grabs up her, I don't know if it was her husband, I don't know if it was her sons, her daughters, her, her cousins, her aunts, her uncles, her nieces, I don't know. Whoever was in the house, she gathered together and say, hey, let me tell you all about Jesus. And the whole household gave their life to Jesus as well. Listen, here's what I've learned about opportunity. You guys, y'all are opportunity seekers. And you're at that age right now. You're seeking after opportunity. Let me tell you, my short life, here's what I've learned about opportunity. Opportunity doesn't find you. You find opportunity. In that prison, they found an opportunity with the jailer. And they helped him find life when he was about to end his. And not just him, but his whole family as well. So they go out in Macedonia after being there for some days, and they come across this group of women. They see an opportunity to share the gospel, and they do it. Lydia and her house get saved. The next thing they know, they end up in prison. Once again, we're in the wrong place, but it's the right time. And they found an opportunity with that jailer after God flung the doors open to share the gospel with him. And they even told him, hey, you, you can accept Jesus. You can be baptized, you can be saved, you can be forgiven from your sins. And not just you, but your family as well. That's a rather bold statement for Paul and them to say that. Well, why would they say it? Because they'd already seen God do it with Lydia in her house. He said, man, God's got a habit of just changing everybody's lives around here. So I tell you what, you give your life to Jesus, and it won't just be you. It'll be your whole family as well. Sure enough, this guy and his entire household surrenders their lives to Jesus and are baptized and are now following him, they found an opportunity in that prison. Even if you think you're in the wrong place, find opportunity. I promise you salvation is needed in the place where you're at. Don't just be present. Find opportunity. I know you're not supposed to be there. I know you're not supposed to be at that job. I know you're not supposed to have been in school for this long. I know you're not supposed to be single. I know you're not supposed to have that medical diagnosis, that issue, that, that thorn that you now have to deal with possibly for the rest of your life. But there's co-workers around you. There's classmates by you. There's patients in the waiting room with you and they need Jesus. It's the wrong place. I get it. But it's the right time. Instead of looking for an opportunity to leave, Start finding opportunities to love. And on top of being present where you're at, make the most of where you're at. And then in the most loving and encouraging way I can say this to finish up, stop groaning and start glorifying.
Verse 25. They've just been beaten by rods. They've just been thrown in prison. And the only thing that they were doing was trying to introduce people to Jesus. Verse 25 says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Here sat Paul and Silas, chained and shackled in a place they weren't supposed to be in. And yet they're praying and they're singing hymns. They should have been groaning, but instead they're glorifying. They should have been complaining and they should have been griping. They should have been ticked off and mad and angry at God for First of all, putting them in a place that they weren't supposed to be in in Macedonia, but now doubling up on that and putting them in a prison they're not supposed to be in. It's the wrong place, God. We're not supposed to be here. But instead, they're glorifying. Listen, I know it's not easy to be somewhere that you feel is wrong for you. But start asking God to help you glorify Him in that place. It's not easy to feel like God's got restrictions around you for whatever reason. It's not easy thinking that God's not allowing you entrance into a certain area that you want to go into for whatever reason. And it becomes easy for us to groan. It becomes easy for us to complain. It becomes easy for us to gripe. It becomes easy for us to air our grievances out to God about why we're not supposed to be there. But instead of groaning, I encourage you to start glorifying. It says that while Paul and Silas were praying and singing, the prisoners were listening to them. People are listening to you in the places that you're at. And my prayer is that we as a people of God to the world around us would start to show them that we are not a people of pouting, we're a people of praising. It was the wrong city. They weren't supposed to be there. But it was the right time. It was the wrong prison. They're not supposed to be in that place. But it was the right time. It's the wrong job. But it's the right time. It's the wrong semester. You should have done been finished and moved on. But it's the right time. And it's the wrong diagnosis. You're not supposed to have this illness. You're not supposed to have this physical struggle. You've never had to face anything like this in your life. You're the epitome of health. You go to the gym every single day. You take your Flintstones vitamins three times a day. You eat your veggies and you don't throw them in the trash. It's not supposed to be like this for you. But it's the right time. It's the wrong relationship status. Am I not supposed to be 26, 27, 28 years old and still looking for a spouse? It's not supposed to be like this for me. It's the wrong place, but it's the right time. I want to show you this and then we're done. Later on in Acts chapter 19, Paul's in a place called Ephesus. And I'm going to start reading in verse 8. 
And I want you to see something with me. It says that he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Verse 10. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia, this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Chapter 16, verse 6. And they went through the region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Chapter 19. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of God. Sometimes God wants to see how we'll respond in the places we don't want to be before granting us access into the places we do want to be. It was forbidden for now, but it was granted later. It's the wrong place, but it's the right time. And sometimes you've got to be faithful in the wrong places before God begins to open up what you would consider to be the right places. It's not by chance you're where you're at. And some of you might even be thinking tonight you're at the wrong place. But it's the right time. God brought you here for a reason. It's not by chance you're where you're at. Be present in that place. Find opportunity in that place. And start glorifying God in that place. It's the wrong place, but it's the right time. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.